Dear God, um, we want more than anything else. I mean, it would be great for great things to happen over Easter, but what has to happen is our hearts have to be in the right place, Lord. And we don't want to just call you God. We want to pull in close and call you Father. And we want to have such a tight relationship that we can say without blinking an eye, uh, we love you. Nothing held back. We want to be fervent in our devotion to you. And so in this season, as we come to the cross and then to the grave, and then ultimately we look to Jesus ascending as risen Savior, Lord, we want to celebrate him in our hearts and sanctify him really in our hearts as Christ is Lord. So now help us to do the work. Speak through your word, which has been preserved for us. May it be our guidebook to life and our instruction book for eternity. And may we be not just grateful people for the word, but may we take it as your word. And may we in turn love you, submit to the word, because we admit openly we nearly need you. Please be our guide, I pray, into all truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Before we go into Easter, I, I want our hearts to be prepared in such a way that we know God's grace and we experience it as God's people together. And uh, from John 17, uh, this is the priestly prayer of Jesus. Now, John's gospel uh, goes like this. It, it starts out with the birth of Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. It was, and it's kind of a word picture of Jesus becoming flesh. And he came to his own, his own didn't receive him, but those who do become the children of God. That was his way of saying he's offering his salvation. John pictorially says that, but then it's like you're on an interstate. His, his, he grows up, he goes into ministry, and years go by. And when you get to chapter 13, now all of a sudden it slows down. You've gotten off the interstate, you're now on a side road, and now you're heading into a subdivision as the car slows down even more. And so the narrative does the same thing. It slows down even more. So when you get to chapter 13, he's washing the disciples' feet. They're in the upper room. And now we're seeing it motion by motion. And then he says, I want you to love each other and I want you to get along together. That's paramount that you do that. And, uh, and then that, that's not all I want to have happen. I, I, I want you to love each other like I have loved you because all men will know that you are my disciples. How? Because of your love for each other. And then he tells them, chapter 14, I'm going to die. I'm going to go to heaven. They say, well, how do we know the way? He said, you just trust me. I'll get you there. Just, I, I am the way, I'm the truth, the life. That's 14. And then 15, he says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. This is all done around the dinner table. That's where the most important discussions happen. Isn't it true? Is that way even today? By 16, he's given them final instructions. And then by chapter 17, now he's saying, I, I need to go away and pray. And so he, he gets up and he leaves to go pray. So here's my question to you. What would you do if this were your last day on earth? Where would you go? What would you see? What would you do if you knew this was your last day? Who would you talk to? Who would you call if this were your last day on earth? If you knew it, you know? Now some of you are saying, what do you know, Dave, about me that I don't know? Uh, Nothing. Let me tell you, I'm not a prophet. Don't claim to be. But if this were your last day, who would you call? Who would you talk to? What would you make right that's wrong? Who would you go forgive? Or who would you go spend time with? Well, what Jesus did, knowing it was his last day on earth, he went to the garden and he prayed. And he went back to the core relationship that he had with God, who he called Father. Okay? And then he began to pray, God, I want them to know you, Father, like I know you as Father. 
Pick it up, chapter 17, verse 1. After Jesus has said this, he looked to the heavens and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all the people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I brought you glory in the, on the earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in the presence of the glory of which uh, you have before the world began. Stop there. Jesus knows he's about to die. He's given them instructions, so he backs away. He says, I need to go pray. And he goes to pray, and he says, Father, that's huge, uh, and he knows he's getting ready to die. I want to, you to be glorified, but I want them, you to be glorified through me, he says, so they see goodness in you. In other words, if there are three parts to this thing, if you're getting ready to die, number one, he models for us, get to know God really well, because that's who you're going to see, okay? That's who you're going to see. And then secondly, he says, this is eternal life, verse three, that they may know you, the true God, and know Jesus, he's the way, the truth, and the life. So affirm that salvation, and I see this all the time. People are ready to die. They'll make confessional sins. They give up stuff. They are, and they just let it all hang out. Why? Because they're dying. So you get right with God. You make sure of your salvation. And then the third thing you do, verses 4 and 5, he says, I finished the work you gave me to do. Now, here's the deal. The day you die, your in-basket will still be full. Someone else will pick it up. Or worse yet, they'll just take your in-basket and dump it in the trash. Right? They'll just go on. You've seen it in your own office. Right? They take your name plaque off and they put a different name plaque. And how dare they? They just move on with life. And they, they call you, oh, good old what's-his-name. Because you're gone. The day you're gone. There will always be something to do. So you have to figure it out. What is it that God wants me to do here on earth? That's the huge picture. The whole, the whole big question. And the picture that Jesus frames for us is this. I have finished the work you gave me to do. Jesus didn't, did he heal everybody? No. Did he fix every problem? Did he, did he solve every crime? No. He didn't do it all. What did he do? He did just enough that people would believe he was really from God. That's what those miracles were for, was to prove his authority. And then when they believed him, then he would begin to teach them. You are not going to get it all done. So now you have to figure out how has God wired me? How am I gifted? And what are my opportunities? And if I have those in front of me, what is it that God wants me to do? Because that's what he's going to call me into account for. So figure that thing out. And some of us who reach midlife go, um, my life, I don't even know how I'm going to be remembered. I don't know what my life, the measure of my life or the mark of my life is like. You're asking yourself a great question when you ask that question. Because now... You can frame up in your own mind, why is it that I'm here? What is my big purpose in being here? Why did God design me for this place in this time, this generation? Finish the work God gave me to do. So three things in Jesus really models them. Get right with God, develop that relationship. Secondly, affirm that salvation. Get, get, you, know, you, you, know, you need to go forgive somebody. By the way, you don't know that you're going to live tomorrow, right? You only have today. And we don't even have this afternoon. You're not even sure about that. Okay? And if you've been out to 301, you know you're taking your life in your hands, right? <laughs> Have you been out there? On a Sunday, it's not so bad. But Monday to Friday, they're just plain unchristian, right? <laughs> and it doesn't get any better when you get on 495, right? Yeah. I had a state trooper tell me, a state trooper tell me, if we put up crosses everywhere people died on 495, 
no one would drive 495. That's how many deaths are on that highway. And I asked him why. He said, well, it's because the whole world drives here and they all drive crazy. I was in a cop car and he was driving crazy. <laughs> you understand this. You don't know how long you'll live. So forgive the people you didn't forgive. Keep the short accounts. Figure out why you're here. And figuring out why you're here, get done what God has called you to do. Get that focus. And give up thinking you can do it all because you can't. Now, here's a, a wonderful part to this. this it, you'll get right past this if we're not looking for it. Go back to verse one. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and he prayed. And what's the, how did he call God? What did he say? What's it say? Father. What did he say? Father. Don't you love that when your kids call you, when your dad? Don't you just love that? A dad loves to be called dad or father. Let me tell you, ladies, here's what guys do when you're out shopping and we're home with the baby. The baby's, you know, we're feeding them little Cheerios. In the, you know, they're sitting in the, with the little tray, the high chair, the tray and the bib. Everything's going fine. We have ESPN on right behind the baby. So we're not missing anything. And they're, they're starting to talk. And they're going, mama, 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 mama. And you know what we're doing? We're going, daddy, 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 daddy. And they go, ah, mama, mama. And then, and then I hand out a Tic Tac to them, you know, like sugar. Daddy, daddy, daddy. And then they talk, daddy, daddy, daddy. Mama, mama, mama. Another Tic Tac. Another Tic Tac. It's confessional time. Just might as well let you know what really happens when you're gone. Because we want to hear our babies call us mommy, daddy, right? You remember the day you, you hold your babies, and I'm going to cry, but you hold your babies and you pat them and you, you do this, and you know how your blood pressure just drops? You're holding the baby and they just go, <sighs> you remember this? And then, when you remember the day your baby patted you back? Remember that? Yeah, and your blood pressure, <gasps> yeah, and you just, you just love that. They're affirming you back. That's what it is when God in heaven, when Jesus says, Father. See the difference? Now, Old Testament people knew God. They knew him as almighty, sovereign, Lord, provider, sustainer, right? Righteous one, staff, strong tower. They knew him for all those things. And they had used the word father, but only in a prophetic sense that he will become father. But they never called him father. They called him God. Because he was so, they, they would use the phrase Shekinah glory. He was so there. In fact, writers who would transcribe, who would write copies of the Old Testament, they would be writing, they'd get to the name that we use, our English word Jehovah. And that, that's the Old Testament word, Hebrew is the word Yahweh. Y-A-W-E-H, okay, Yahweh. They would use the word Yahweh, but then they would take the vowels out. For those of you who don't watch, what's that, Wheel of Fortune? A vowel is an A or an E in that word. So if you're laughing, thank you very much. Pat Sajak thanks you, so does Vanna, okay? So they take the vowels out. Why do they do that? Because they didn't even want the, the Jewish nation to say God's name out loud. But it even gets better than that. They're writing the text of the word of God and, they're writing, and they get to the word Yahweh and the, the pen they're using, they pitch and they get a new one. And then they write the word Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, 
and then they throw that one away and start over again. So the pen that was used to write the word for Jehovah God, that's the only thing that pen was used for, and then it was destroyed. That's how much they revered the name of God. So to call him Father, that's way too cozy. Way too cozy. But what Jesus is saying here is this. He is saying, Father, I want them to know you like I know you. They have known you as the Almighty, as the Creator, as the Sustainer, the Provider. They know all that. What what I want now, Jesus is saying, it's time, Father. It's time for you to be glorified and for them to see you for who you really are. You are the Father of all. You are the Father and Lord over all, and you're the Savior of the world, and this plant, master plan's yours. And Jesus is saying, so glorify me, so then they get to see you, verses one and two. And, and he said, I want these faith-filled followers to draw in as friend to you, Father. That concept will be repeated. Philippians, Paul will write it to the Philippian believers from a jail cell. He'll say, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of the resurrection. Again, Colossians chapter one. He will continually ask God the Father to fill you with the knowledge of his will. In other words, I want to know even what God in heaven is thinking. I want to know his will, his wisdom, and his understanding. Now, here's the biggest objection. Biggest objection is we're just not good at praying. We're saying, well, I'd pray like that if I knew how to pray like that, but I don't pray like that. And then some of us grew up going to church where people were awesome prayers, which made us even worse prayers because they were so incredibly good, okay? I grew up in a church. We had a row of deacons. Those guys were 100 years old when I was six, and they would pray. They could pray for 30 minutes without even breathing in. they just pray. You ever been around a person like that? And you're, you're, you know, you're, you're standing there doing the prayer, and you're, you're melting, hoping, get to the end for crying out loud. And they, they just keep praying. They know every missionary, every missionary's kid, every wart, every, I mean, and then they go, they, they just knew everything. They were like omnipresent and omniscient in their prayers. You say, I can't pray like that because I'm not that verbally skilled. I don't remember stuff. But what made it even worse is those deacons that could pray in King James English. <laughs> oh, thou art God, howest art thou as todayest. You know, I can't do that. I'm a moron. I can't do that. And then a step worse is the emotional prayers. Oh, God, God, if you're there, help me. And then they, you know, like 17 hallelujahs, and then Father, 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 and then going, he heard you like the first time. He, was, he doesn't have a problem. He's not deaf, just call him on his name, and he'll respond. And, but they just start, they're whipping it up, and you say, I, I'm not going to do that because I, I can't. I, and then uh, I, you may have had a Sunday school teacher that would pray for you in a circle, You'd circle the kids up in Sunday schools the way he taught the Bible years ago. Before church service, he had a pre-service called Sunday school. And I had a teacher that could pray around the circle by name. Everybody in the circle. And then pray again by sin. Pray for Johnny. You got to stop his thieving lying ways. Pray for Sarah. She's such a cheater. She's so arrogant. You just go around and say, oh my God, I got to get out of here. And then you ever had this where they say, okay, now your turn to pray. And so now you're to pray in the circle. Everybody pray for something. And, you, you know, and then when you're done, you squeeze a hand. You ever do this? You have to hold hands. So it's kind of creepy too. And then when you're done, so that, but then whenever they would start the prayer, I would always be on the wrong side of the circle. So by the time it got to me, 
everything that could be prayed for had been prayed for. I have nothing new to say. So everything they said plus whatever else, I don't know. I have, I'm not good prayer. But it, I say all that to say this. There's reasons we're not good prayers. But the, let me tell you, the absolute worst prayer. Are you ready? Don't ever teach this one to your children. Now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake. It sounds like a Dickens novel, doesn't it? <laughs> Pray the Lord. The ghost of Christmas past. My soul to take. Okay, good night, kids. Sleep tight. Don't let the bed bugs bite. We're not going to sleep. We go to sleep, we're going to die. We're not, no wonder we, this is the worst prayer you can pray. And then I actually remember reading it, remember hearing that going, if I die before I wake, pray to the Lord my soul to take. So if I die in my sleep, the Lord will take me. Once I wake up, it's kind of iffy. I want to I die in my sleep. I don't want to wake up. Oh, I'm still here. Oh, no. I have to make it to the night again. That's an awful prayer. That's why we don't pray, okay? All that aside. If you're not a good prayer, join the club. The disciples. You know what? They could ask Jesus any question. They didn't say, make me better preacher, Jesus. Make me better teacher. Make me better leader. Do you know what they said? Teach us to pray. They didn't know how to do it either. And, they, and when they pray, they go, oh, we don't know what to say. We, we're, we're out. We're done. Matthew chapter 6. Go with me there, would you? Matthew 6. Verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, the two-faced. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, they've, to be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their full reward. Verse 6. Matthew 6. And when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In other words, you don't need to do all this repetition. You don't need to be loud, announced. They get their reward when they do that. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. You don't need to do that, he's saying, verse 7. For they think they'll be heard because of their many words. You don't need a lot of words. Quite frankly, sometimes when I pray, I just stop. Just have silence in the prayer. Sometimes when I pray, I just read scripture and pray. And I ask God, conform me to that, or may that scripture be true in my life. Just, you don't have to have a lot of words. Your words don't have to be exactly right either. And it's okay to say to God, I don't even know how to pray on this, God. That's okay. They pray for their many words. Verse 8, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask. He knows what's going on. Either you're praying to impress people, or you're praying to touch heaven. And you can't do both, so you have to choose. So in, in given the opportunity, give up trying to impress people. Just try to touch heaven. And Jesus gives us this model to pray. And the model is the, and we've taken the heart and soul out of it because now we just repeat it, it's rote, it's kind of, a, it's a monologue rote. And, and it's just sad what we've done to the Lord's Prayer, which is really the disciples' prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, verse 10, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. And 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And some of your translations say it, and others say it down at the footnote, for yours is the kingdom and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And, and when Jesus gave that, that was not a prayer that you're to recite. That's like an outline that now you can fill in as your own. Our Father, who's in heaven, when you connect with God, you connect with him relationally. Get this. If you're taking notes, connect with God, number one, relationally. Don't miss it. Give up the formality. Go for the relationship. And then you can be honest. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that that what all of us want as parents? We want to connect with our kids relationally. I I love it when my kids just walk in the room and I say, what do you want? They say, nothing, I just want to be here. Yeah, but what do you want? Nothing, I just want to be here. And they'll just come in and get a hug and then go. Our Father who's in heaven, that's what you're doing. You're walking into the presence of God and saying, can I have a hug? He goes, yeah, sure. You can have a hug. And then when you do that, you recognize this. He is really my father. I am really in the family. Some of us have the misunderstanding, Romans chapter 8, that we are still somehow slaves. And so we are at, at, at somehow angst with God. That's not the case. If you're a believer in Christ, the war is over. The debt is paid. He now counts you as adopted, as sons and daughters through Christ. So we have to start seeing ourselves as the children of God, for that is what we are, 1 John says. Stop thinking like a slave, start thinking like a son, a daughter, an heir. So I walk in and I say, hello, Dad. It's me, Dave. And then we verbalize highest honor, number two. Verbalize highest honor, hallowed, not a word we use. It's a word for holy, it's our word for sanctified. Holy, separate, holy, pure in its entirety is your name. Because the name of the Lord is a strong, high tower, the proverb says. The names have authority. So I call you Father, and that's good for relationship. But I also know, and I can say in the prayer, I call you my strong tower. I call you my God, my salvation, my righteous one, my counselor, my Lord, almighty, provider. You can use any of the biblical names you want. And some of them are, are mean different things to you at different times. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. This is the verse that came to me all week. Whose mind is stayed on thee. Just on thee. And I think, Dave, is my mind stayed on the Lord? Because if it is, I could be at perfect peace. I can rest. So number one, connect with God relationally. Number two, verbalize highest honor. There's something about recognizing him, not only as almighty God, but then give his names. Revere him. That's a moment of worship, really. That's an adoration, if you will. Thirdly, we pray his agenda first. Your kingdom come, circle your, your will, your again, your will be done. It's not about us. You don't run into God's presence and say, God, I need this, this, and this. Now, hurry. No, he's not at your beck and call. He is the Lord God of heaven. When we enter his gates, we do so with thanksgiving, with appreciation. We call him, we adore him. And then we say, we're all about what you're doing. In fact, if you were to pray anything, I I pray, you're going to do something great, God, today. I just want to be around to see it. I want to be a part of it. So whatever you're doing, I want to be there. Could I be there today to see you work? That's praying his agenda first. What happens, conversely, is if we go in and go, okay, God, and then you begin to whine. And then the prayer is all about us. And we aren't reaching towards heaven. We're just bringing heaven into the muck. And we're really not seeing the solution that God may have for us because we're so, we're, we're dragging it into our muck. 
So we praise the Lord God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because we know we are blessed people with every spiritual blessing. So whatever you're doing, God, I want to be a part of that. I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done. Number four, we pray for his provision. Give us this day our daily bread, verse 11. Even when you don't need daily bread, even when you have the bread, you say, well, I don't need it this week. Pray for it for the next. Thank you for what you do have. And, and even when you have it, announce you are the provider. Do you ever do that where you just thank God? I, you know, you didn't get the promotion you wanted, didn't get the hours, didn't get the advancement, you missed, been passed by. But even still, God, you have given me a job. I am grateful because I'm worn out by the job, so I sleep better at night. It does provide an income. I thank you for the provision. Because where does my help come from? Does it come from the mountains? Is that where my help comes from? And by the mountains, what you're saying is the places of authority. In this, it's would be like our human government. Is that where my help comes from? No, I don't rely on the government. Governments come and go. My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. So I see the mountain. Oh, that's beautiful. But wow, look at the God who made it. See the difference? And, and, and you're saying, is, is that really true? It's true. Jerusalem was actually an elevated city. And so they would talk about going up to Jerusalem. They did that when they were going north, south, east, and west. I only say up if I'm going north. And I go up someplace or I'm going down someplace or over. They would always say up. Do you know why? Because it was an elevated city. And you could see it even from a distance. And so even though the writer writes that stuff, he said, those are the places of authority, but my authority is even higher than that. Wow. So I thank the Lord for his provision and our help is better than any government could ever give us because my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He's the one who parted the seas. He's the one who brought food for people as they traveled. He, he saved people, restored people who were sick. He brought sight to the blind. Why would, I, why would I stoop to trust something else? That's just foolish idolatry. My help is far greater, far better, and it lasts a whole lot longer. Where does my help come from? The maker of heaven and earth. Get this, it's colossal. So I thank him for his provision. I'm reminded of just the Old Testament. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you would even visit him? That's our prayer sometimes. I I am so privileged, God, to be your son. What am I in light of all you've done? Thank you for his provision. Number, Number five. Forgive like you want to be forgiven. Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. We love the first half of that verse, right? Forgive us our debts. Oh yeah, I have to forgive people who owe me. Not so much. Forgive us our debts and may the people who owe me pay me back. Right? That's the way we would write that verse, right? And when I am in the right, when you are in the right... We want God to come with justice, right? I mean, someone cuts us off in traffic. We're after them. We want justice. But when we do something, oh, I didn't see the light turn green. Sorry, thanks for the honk. And you wave to the pack. And they're going, get going, you loser. And, oh, sorry. When we're not right, we want mercy. Write that down. So may I treat people with mercy at times when I want to delve out justice. Because justice isn't mine, justice is the Lord's to give out, right? Maybe I need to say that again. Justice is the Lord's to give out. He will revenge. I don't have to. You don't have to live a revengeful lifestyle. 
And when we're offended, we can kind of let that go, knowing what the Lord has let go in our lives. I have a daughter who's learning to drive. She was in the car with me this week. I was driving. Pray for me. Pray for me. She's learning to drive. So she's in the passenger side. We're driving. And we're, we come up to a stoplight. And we're maybe eight cars back and something. You know how it is. You're ready to go, but you're waiting for the light. Someone turned into that right lane. It's a right turn lane, right? And they went right before the light turned green. They pulled out from behind. You know how you can feel people? You can feel it in the mirrors. And they, they pull over, and then they zoosh, right up into the right turn. But they're not turning right. They're going 30 through the intersection. And they're going straight, and they're cutting off. All right? And my daughter looks at me, and she says, because she's reading the manual right now. She's all over that manual, you know. Is that legal? No, it's not. It is not legal. Don't even think about doing that. Don't ever do that. And I'm thinking, I wish I thought of that. That's my first thought. Then my second thought was, oh, good, there's no SPC sticker on the back of that car. That's what I'm really thinking. Anybody else? Is it? Okay. So I said, don't do that. But, oh, man, I'd love to do it. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? Isn't that what you do with your... I mean, the reason half the time I'm good is because I'm holding hands of, of my children when they were little. Like, you're waiting to go through a crosswalk, and it says, don't walk, don't walk, don't walk, don't walk, don't walk. And, yeah, let's go, kids. Yeah, and, oh, yeah, yeah, I can't walk. Dad, can you not read? Oh, yeah, I can read. So we stand here while people are crossing through the crosswalk. And I, I'm staying here. Why? Because I don't want to be a bad example to my children. Here's, if you don't get any other notes, children are your best disciple makers. They will disciple you. They will help you grow in patience. Amen? They will help you grow in truth. They will reflect back to you what is happening to you. I, one of my kids was just gotten out of the car seat. She's little. Got out of the car seat. She's in the car now with me. This is years ago. And we're driving through traffic. You know, and I'm trying to be a good dad, good father. We pull up to a stoplight, and another car pulls beside, and this lady's over there. And, you know, when the kids are little, they don't look out a window because they're little. So they're looking up a window. Understand? The trajectory is like that. She looks, and she sees this lady over there, and she says to me, Daddy? I said, yeah, honey. Is that the clown? <laughs> I, I wonder where she got that word. Earlier, we were driving. Someone like did something. Oh, what a clown. I'm driving. Um, that's not the clown. Oh, oh, Lord, help me. So now you know how to pray for your pastor. Because when I'm right, I want justice. You do too. And when I'm wrong, I want mercy. Right? You're, the, you're no different than I am. And so what do we need to be praying for? Oh, God, may I be merciful with the kind of mercy I want for me. I want people to give me a break. Give me... Some, give me some room here because you have been so kind to me so may I be forgiving too I've been forgiven of so much Louis Smeads, the quote to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you man that's good so forgive like you want to be forgiven, give it up For, you know you realize how dirty your own heart is, you have no business picking into their stuff Number six, recognize this is spiritual warfare. Lead us not into temptation. That's probably a bad translation because God cannot and will not lead you into, into, into sin. Instead, he's saying this is the opportunity. That's really what the wording should be. So don't lead us. Don't allow us to walk into a, a, an overwhelmingly bad situation. In other words, keep me from that. Get me away from where you know I, will, might, I would clearly fall. Don't even let me go there. And when I 
have that day when that could happen, then keep the circumstances such that it doesn't happen. Why? Because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It is against rulers, against authorities, against powers in this dark world, against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. It is all around us. And here's what I'm telling you, class. If you don't see the spiritual warfare, you're probably losing the war. You don't even know what's happening. You don't know, but you're getting beat out. You're getting beat out all over the place. If you're not aware that someone is out to take you down, to discourage your heart, to get you to distrust God, to get you to, to flinch at a moment of faith, instead you live with a moment of fear, and you, you want to do what you've always done, which is what Moses did, which kept him out of the promised land, is what godly people do when they don't have eyes of total faith. And, and it's just really unfortunate. See, Satan knows he'd love to rob your soul and drain your energy, and what you have to be praying is, God, help me to see. This is spiritual warfare. And you could even claim it, God. God, let me put on, if you're taking notes, Ephesians 6, the full armor of God. I need shin protectors. I need the helmet. I need my head guarded. I need my heart guarded. I, I need to have the sword of the Lord in my hand. Gideon says it. Paul says it in Ephesians. I just need it all because the Satan wants to take you down. He wants to make you ineffective and look like a fool. And in so doing, it takes all the air out of your faith. Even though you're headed to heaven, you're living a defeated life. So God, help me to see. This is a spiritual battle. Number seven. Ultimately, God, this is all about you. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. It's not about me. It's about you. And that whatever we do, it's going to be for the glory of the Lord God of heaven. It's not going to be about me anyway. It just caps the thinking. And... It, and here's, don't miss this. None of this will happen, John chapter 17, none of this will happen if you don't draw in close and say, I know you've been God, but now it's time for me to call you Father. Okay, I want relationship. In just a few moments, we're gonna pray, but we're gonna pray as a church. Um, you can pray in, in your own heart, and, and that's wonderful, all during the week. But Jesus said, this house ought to be a house of prayer. So we're going to make this a house of prayer just for a few moments. Just have our moment of prayer. You're going to stay where you are and stay seated. You can maybe pray back the Lord's Prayer again, fill in your own blanks. Some of you may need to just pray with somebody. And so I've asked some elders, some staff, some community group leaders, is there available? They're just going to stand here at the front. And as heads are bowed, eyes are closed, people are going to be reading Scripture or praying on their own. You want someone to pray for you, you slip out of your seat, step up to one of them, just tell them, here's why I need prayer. Just give them one sentence. They'll pray for you, and then you'll go right back to your seat. I'm not going to hold you here. You're not going to do anything else. You're just going to pray, and you go back. Some of you just need to be prayed over and blessed over, and we're going to give you that opportunity. But all of us need, all of us need to be calling God our Father. So let's do that now. Would you bow your heads? And I want you to... Know the power. I want you to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. It's this Easter. That's only going to happen when you know that he is not only God in heaven, he is also Father. And uh, I'll give you time just to read those notes, pray them back, pray back the other scriptures. And then, as you would like, you can step to the front. Receive a prayer and then go back to your seat.
scriptures say you ask what you need and the Lord provides. You seek the Lord. You knock at the door, as it were. For everyone who asks receives and whoever seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door is open. The Lord says the door is always open for you to pray. To be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual understanding. That we call on the Lord while he may be found. Peter said, you draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Paul writes the church in Ephesus and says, praise be to God because you have blessed us. Maybe that's what you say to God. I am blessed. You chose me before the creation of the world to be holy. So Paul says, I, ever since I heard about your faith and your love for God's people, not stop giving thanks. And I give thanks knowing that the glorious Father may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you'll just know him better. You really know him as a great big father who wants you to crawl into his lap and enjoy his presence. For some of us, Lord, the the prayer is just renewing our heart a fresh, renewed spirit that we are thankful people so that in everything we give thanks. And we've been walking the road alone maybe. For some, we'd say thank you God for the partnership that we have in Christ and with brothers and sisters. And the one who began a good work in you will do it. So Lord, you've begun a good work in me. Please stay at it. Don't give up. We always thank God, our Father in heaven. Uh, Paul writes to the church in Colossae because we hear of your faith and your love. God, increase my faith, increase my love. So we don't stop praying so that we be filled with the knowledge, Lord, of your will in our lives through all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we'll live a life that is worthy of the Lord. That's our prayer, that we would bear fruit and please you in every way, growing in the knowledge of who you are. As you continue to pray, I just ask you to stand to your feet. And uh, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Have your head bowed and your eyes closed. Now may the God of peace, who the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, the great Shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you to everything good.
for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And the church says amen. Amen. Thank you for receiving the word. God bless you.